Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Farhan Ahmed, a seasoned founder and just incredible guy. His story is compelling and packed with advice. Let's get into it, but first, my wrap-up for the week. This weekend, my wife, she stayed at her parents' house Friday and Saturday, and my two co-founders, Jason and Brandon, came over for kind of like a company retreat slash strategy session. It was awesome. We put up hundreds of sticky notes all over my windows, and we really dug into our plans week by week for the next couple of quarters. Jason wanted to go away for this and get an Airbnb or something, but I convinced him that all of us staying at my place, that would be just as good, and then we could spend the money on a couple of dinners instead of the hotel. So Friday, we grilled steak, and I made the thing that I'm best at, homemade Caesar salad. And then the second night, we went out for Korean barbecue. It was a fun but long weekend, and I'm proud of what we accomplished. Last week, we also hired a new sales guy, and Jason and him are going to hit the road together for the next month, bringing on fraternities. We set some pretty aggressive goals, and I think we can hit them, if not blow past them. We'll see. The plan is to go crush numbers for the next two months and then raise our seed round. The app's not perfect. And it's definitely difficult to be compared to billion-dollar companies like Venmo or Square or PayPal. Um, but, but the thing is that PayClub works. It solves a major problem, is getting better every day, and a lot of users love it. So just like how I was talking about with the New Year's resolutions of setting actionable goals that you can track... We have a weekly goal of how many new users, new fraternities we need to bring on, and we'll stay on top of it every single day. We still don't have enough money, I mean, startups rarely do, but that's not going to stop us or even slow us down. We're charging ahead. We're going to onboard thousands of users over the next few weeks. We're just going to do it. We're going to crush no matter what. Okay, let's get into the interview. Hey, Farhan, Farhan Ahmed, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Alex. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, we were supposed to be doing this in LA this morning or this afternoon, I guess, but it's surprisingly raining so hard here. Uh, and your flight into Burbank, uh, you were able to get off of it. So you're in San Francisco, I'm in LA, but we're still, thanks to the internet, able to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so you and I, we met at Money 2020, the big uh, fintech conference that I've talked about a million times on this on this podcast. But you're you're now a pretty experienced finance fintech founder. Um, that's not always who you are. You, you've worked at big companies and small companies. Um, you went to University of Pennsylvania. So I guess let's just start early on in your career. You graduate from school. 
What are you thinking? What do you do? Yeah. Um, so I graduated. When I graduated from school, the path was you go to an Ivy League school, you go and get a job as an investment banker or as a consultant. And that was kind of the primary two options that most people took. And, and I didn't, wasn't interested in that stuff. And you know, I, I took a little bit longer time. And I ended up working um, at a consumer packaged goods um, analytics company. Uh, where they basically look to get all the data from scanners that you have at supermarkets and stores and analyze it to get uh, to tell CPG companies how to optimize their spending and budget and promotional budgets. Uh, so it was an unusual track, um, but it was a very interesting learning step for me. Sure. Um, and so you got that, did they do on-campus recruiting at Penn, or how, how'd you get that first job? No, you know, I, so... Um, I actually had a very different path. I, I used to play a bunch of sports, um, both in school and college, and, and ended up injuring and breaking both my legs, essentially, in, in college. And so my senior year, I was pretty much in crutches and going through uh, sort of repair work on my legs. And so I didn't do any on-campus recruiting. I literally did the grad- graduated and then took a month or so off to recover after that even, and then and then started looking for or for options in a more open market environment, so I never got to benefit from the on-campus stuff. Man, that's a bummer, Farhan. You go to Penn, like, that's what you're paying that $200,000 for, is that little boost right, you, that you get right at the end. You know, all, all things, I think when I look back at where I am now, and, and every single action before that is the reason why I'm here now, and honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I, I think I could have ended up in a very boring career in life cycle. Um, but I'm ending in a place exactly where I want it to be. So I think everybody, everything happens for a reason. Or even if it didn't happen for a reason, I, I choose to believe that's the reason. And I'm, I'm in a great place for it. Well, I mean, that's amazing that you're able to look back and say that. And you're incredibly blessed and fortunate to do that. So let's, uh, let, let's continue the, the journey. What happens, what happens after you get your first job? Yeah, so the first job, I mean, you know, it's all about learning and it's all about Finding somebody who can help me, and my whether my my immediate boss wasn't that hands-on, but I found somebody there who really showed me how to take a critical look at data and and helped me get a very technical understanding of how to how to analyze stuff, and that was how my natural my mind works anyway. So it was great to condition that, and I did that for a couple of years. You know, the company itself wasn't exciting, but what I was doing was awesome, and you know, I got approached by a bunch of people, and and. And uh, took another job at a company called First USA, which was an up-and-coming credit card company in the in the country. Then, right now, is the largest credit card company in the world. But at that time, coming, and uh, I had a more flashy job offer as well from from HBO, and that was very exciting for a young kid. But uh, what I liked about the First USA thing was the hiring manager, and literally, I took the job because I, I thought that person I could learn a lot from. And I, I turned away the more exciting option. Yeah, that's um, a wise, profound move. I don't, I don't know a lot of people would have the fortitude to do that, to turn down some glitzy entertainment job for some credit card processing back end, not sexy, but uh, upside of, of learning a lot. It was just the person, right? The hiring manager was awesome. We clicked immediately. Somebody I felt I could learn a lot of, not just hard skills, but soft skills. Um, somebody very successful, and, and that was very appealing. Um, and you know, in the end, you spend most of your time working, and the industry that you're in often has little or nothing to do with your with your actual day to day work. But the people you work with, um, that's literally right there in your face every day. 
Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I I think that's often discounted. People prioritize the name, the role, the group. Rarely do they prioritize the actual people you're going to be working with, or even get to know the people you're going to be working with before you you know take a, a job. Yeah, honestly, I mean, the advice that I give to people all the time, uh, especially early in their career, is n- never follow sort of roles and titles and that kind of stuff, but but follow the people, find the people you want to be around with. If you choose that wisely and you choose to work, surround yourself with successful people, that creates a lot of collective success. And those people then continue to grow on to be more and more successful in their careers. And, and either they bring you on or at some point you bring them on, but you start to form this group where success breeds success. And, and that ultimately is much more valuable in career trajectory and growth than, than saying I worked for a cool, sexy company when I was young. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's, that's, Great advice. Okay, Farhan. So then, what? Um, had a had an amazing as an amazing time and um, learned a, a lot from that company. Made very lasting friendships that are still valid today. Um, my suspicion around working for Mike was absolutely dead on. I learned a ton of stuff for him, and it's small things. It's about how to talk to people, how to you know whenever whenever Mike introduced me to somebody at the company. He always took one thing that was a core strength of the person he was introducing me to and said, hey, meet you know, so-and-so. He's the guru of this or she's the best marketer in the world or something like that. And, and I just learned the sort of the soft skills of how, you know, not only how sharp he was analytically, but also just the, how he actually interacted with people and building a very strong network around it. And so, so we did that. Um, on the work side, you know, it was a blast. We were a, fastest, a really fast-growing company. Um, a lot of autonomy, um, and you know, I, as a young kid, I was directing strategy and sort of analytics and marketing for a very large portfolio that was soon to become the largest card company in the world, and and to be part of that ride was just incredible. Yeah, and it served to start to open your eyes to finance cards, all of that, right? Absolutely. I think there was, the, there was the industry knowledge around, at that time, I never thought of myself as a finance cards person. It was much more just an analytic person. And, and I think, you know, when, when first you say got acquired by Bank One, um, things were changing. And when I, had to, when I made the decision to leave, I went again with Mike to a startup that, that was coming up. And it had nothing to do with finance, but the skill set applied very broadly. And again, you know, I chased that event with people to do this young uh, dot com startup uh, called LifeMinders, um, and it was an exciting move. But I think the the skills kind of uh, transferred very, very naturally and very easily. So I never thought of myself at that time as a finance or a card person, just right. a good, smart, analytic marketing person. Sure, and you're getting skill sets, learning, working at big companies, working at startups. Um, all of the skill set you're doing is pretty applicable across it all. Absolutely, and again, like I said, the people that I met there. Not just Mike, but everybody really um, very profound impact on on, uh, on my life. And, I, and again, one other thing that you know, I guess I can call out right is that I I look back throughout my career and before that, whether it's at college or after, there are people at each stage of my life that I can point to that I said, you know what, I was fortunate to meet this person because they made a profound difference in my life. And I think all of us have that, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. But someplace, sometime somebody gives you a piece of advice or helps you out in a way that's meaningful. It may sound small at one time, but it was actually meaningful to life. And, and, I, and I, 
and I can identify at every single spot in my career or my, my life personally as well, where somebody's really stepped up. You know, the, the person, you know, my friends who helped me out significantly when, when I was injured in college and, you know, somebody who really helped me out get my first job and, and prepared for that. And, and then all the people since then, and I remember all of them, and I can literally say, I can measure how much of a profound effect they had in my life. And that's a great blessing to have. If you, you know, I don't think people people take too much credit for their successes and too little for their failures, but I think it's always good to acknowledge that there's lots of great people on the way who help us in, in different ways, and it's really a privilege to, have, of, you know, to sort of go back and think of all those people who've been part of your life. Yeah, far. Farhan, I guess I'd like to drill down and unpack that a little bit more. How do you think you've been able to cultivate those types of relationships? Do you think it was just, it was luck? Was it you being open to having those types of relationships, putting yourself in the right place, right time sort of thing? What do you think it was? Yeah, I think it's it's a mixture of all of those, right? I think it's, you know, it's don't be a dick and then you'll meet nice people. I think people gen, genuinely and generally want to help and be helpful to each other. I think, um, that, that's kind of one, one thing. One principle, again, that I've followed in my career, and I also tell everybody uh, as, an, as one of the core pieces of advice I give to people, is never turn down the privilege of being able to help somebody. Um, that's the single best life lesson that I think I've gotten is when somebody asks you for help, consider that not to be a burden but a privilege, that you're in a position to help somebody, and then go ahead and take them up on that and then help them, not as a favor to them, but, but because it's a privilege for you. I think just by doing that, it's amazing to me how many people I meet years, who I may not even remember meeting and they said, hey, you did something very profound or nice for me 10 years ago. And I don't even remember the interaction sometimes. And it's that you create this networking, you know, ball rolling effect where, which comes sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly and helps you out in the future. And, and, and for me, certainly I can say, I've helped people in the past who came out of the woodwork to help me uh, at times when I've least expected them to. So I think, you know, it's not that you have to have an expectation for it, but if there's one investment that I've made that has been, that has been personally and professionally fulfilling is being able to help people uh, with no expectations. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a refreshing take, Farhan. You know, a lot of people are so transactionally focused in the world. Like, what can you do for me? What can you do for me right now? Um, taking this, this long-term just relationship driven outlook of just, I'll help you. I'll help lots of people. Maybe it'll come back to me. Maybe it won't, but I'm just, I'm happy to help. And uh, I think that's really cool. And, and it's personally very satisfying and fulfilling too. You feel really happy, right? If you can help somebody achieve something and it just feels really nice that you were able to make a difference, a positive difference in someone's life. Yeah. I mean, you and I got connected through this podcast. We met in Vegas at the conference and we've already had a couple of conversations about working together in, in our business and you helping out pay club. And I can tell you, I can tell my audience, like the things that you've said about helping with pay club, I mean, it's, it's going to be a game changer for us. So, uh, you're, you're, this isn't uh, smoke and mirrors here. You really do put your money where your mouth is Farhan. It's, it's, it's awesome. Well, I, I hope I can make an impact. So that's, that's good to hear if you feel that way. I do. So keep it up. Um, okay. So what happens with the startup? So the startup, um, well, it was the, it was the dot com era. Uh, you know, we grew like a rocket ship, and very soon after I joined, we went public. Uh, we became very quickly a two billion dollar company, and it was a great ride. Uh, and honestly, um, 
you know, by all measures, a, a big success. And, uh, you know, the CEO and obviously Mike, they had hired me there. And I saw the excitement, but, but it, 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 it wasn't fulfilling enough for me in the sense that I, I did not feel that perhaps the valuation and the, was all that deserved because I think every dot-com in that day was doing amazingly well. But, you know, something was missing for me. A, I, I felt that all the dot-com companies at the time were kind of uh, overvalued and, or fake-valued. I don't think we were a $2 billion company. And honestly, I, I did not feel like um, I had an instrumental role in driving the success uh, or growth of this company. And, and I, I felt kind of, I didn't feel very happy about partaking in the, in the exit and the outcome um, when I did not feel strongly about the value and mission of the company as well as my contribution towards its growth. And for those reasons, I, you know, I, I went and talked to the CEO and I said, hey, I, I love the excitement and, and I love how you must feel and how proud you must feel of the company. And I would love to feel the same thing, but I don't feel it here. So I'm going to go and leave the company and give away my stocks. And I will start another company where I can, I can feel that I'm adding real value and uh, that I can feel very proud of. And I want to experience the same joy that he was experiencing, but on my own. And so I left the company, uh, <laughs> shockingly, uh, before I cashed out or anything. Wow. I mean, that's a daring move. It, it was. And, you know, I, I would do it again. I, I think, you know, the people who stuck, they got a nice financial bonus. But I just didn't, I just did not feel good about that outcome. And, you know, in the end, no amount of money can make you sleep well at night. But, but making, I'm a fairly sort of principle-driven person. And, you know, to me, these things are somewhat are much more obvious and easy to make a decision on than some other people. But to me, it was, I did not feel I deserved it. I did not feel the company deserved it. And therefore, it was not going to be a fun outcome for me, no matter how rich it made me at a young age. And I thought, well, I could actually do something more meaningful and recreate the outcome. But this time, I would have earned it and deserved it. Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, I mean, you've experienced it once. Uh, no reason why you can't experience it again. Yeah, you know, and, and so, um, you know, came out to California with a bunch of people, started another company um, called InPurchase, and we were the first kind of company that, that let people apply for credit online and get credit instantly online, uh, kind of like the precursor to a Build Me Later or a Firm or Klarna. So we started before any of those companies. We were the first ones to do it um, anywhere in the world. Uh, very successful very well funded uh, by the top names in the industry. Um, and, you know, we, we again, a, a, a massive rocket ship effort. We did things really fast, hired a bunch of incredible people who I'm still proud to know and, and very proud of the team that we built there um, and grew the business. And, you know, um, we just hit the, the 2001 crash and, because we were lending to online and retailers only, it was an online lending only, through e-commerce sites like Buy.com or Ashford or those kind of companies or eToys and WebWan, when all those customers died, uh, and they died very rapidly, um, we didn't feel like we had a great business anymore. Right? We didn't have enough customers to, do on, to originate online loans. And at that time, we, we did not predict what the timing would be for online commerce to become what it is now. And... Uh, 
So in the end, we ended up uh, pivoting to more of a B2B platform solution um, and ultimately, you know, converted our, our ASP model uh, business into a software that was sold to uh, SunGuard in the future. I was not part of that sale. Again, once our business, the, the first two attempts that we took at, at, at resurrecting the business kind of failed, we let go of most of the company and all but one of the initial founding team also left because we, did, we didn't have any value to add at this point. It was much more of a tech effort only to convert our platform into a software. So we all kind of, again, gave our equity back and uh, all of us did it, not just me, and uh, walked away from it. And then there was an exit at the end of it, but uh, obviously there was exit was reserved for the people who actually made that exit happen, which were the people who left were left behind to reprogram it. And you know, the big, the big thing, the big lesson that I always say from these two experiences was at LifeMinders, I thought we had a very mediocre product at the right time, and it had a great exit and outcome. At Aceva or InPurchase, I thought we had a phenomenal product that still, I would say, you can still put that up against anything out there today and it'll do well. Um, and we had the, the wrong time, and we had a mediocre exit. And, um, you know, and that's also a very valid lesson, right? It's, it's, it's important it's important to get things right, but it's also important to have some luck on your side. And it's very, very, very important to always be able to control your destiny. Uh, and in purchase had to be stuck on, we had lots of money in the bank. Um, we could have survived the crisis and, and had an ultimately large exit. Um, but we raised money from investors who were strongly encouraging us to sell and exit. Um, and, you know, we were too young and we just listened and, and listened to all that stuff. We didn't know what we were doing and and we, we perhaps made the wrong choices and we didn't control our destiny because we let other people decide for us. And that's also just a very valuable, I think, life lesson in general. Um, yeah, again, uh, these are all things that, 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 that really uh, formed my opinion and approach this time around. Sure. I mean, while you're you're in the middle of it and you're in the jungle, it's it's tough to see the you know the the top of the forest. I guess I guess as as the saying goes. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it it really wouldn't be possible, Farhan, to to know that like yeah, the right thing to do there was to hang on and and get through the crisis and and then see what happens. But okay, you uh, you learn. But it's interesting again that that you kind of made that same decision to give your equity back, do the right thing. This has like been the the byline of your career so far. Help people, give back. Um, it's all kind of becoming clear. Yeah, I mean, it's not altruistic. You know, it's 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 situational. It's it's really I I believe in. If you come to my office, right, the first thing you'll see is our values, and one of our values is right. We should only make money when we when we add value, and that's just a personal life ethos for me, right? I, if I feel like I have not earned something or I have not created some value, I don't like to take credit for it. Um, I'm one of those people who have kept a kind of a personal PNL all my life, where I kind of I calculate fairly well about what value I objectively bring to an organization. And I think I should have a fair reward for that value, no more and no less. And, and that's kind of how I approach things. So where I feel like, hey, we build this awesome company, but ultimately the business model that, that, that we built did not work out for whether it's our fault or the market or it's irrelevant. It did not work out. And so the value we created is gone. And every future value will be created by somebody else. And that's just the fair thing to do. It's not altruistic. It's just it's what's fair. 
And I think that's kind of how I, how I think about it. Yeah, it's a nice way of thinking about it. I don't know that the rest of the world always thinks that way, but uh, if there were more people like you, then I think things would operate a little smoothly, more smoothly. And listen, the good thing was, right, there was a company called Bill Millator started two years or three years after, after us, and guess who the founders were? The founders were my old sort of um, boss's boss at First USA and the guy who sat next to me at First USA, right? So it's that little small circle so, so, you know, Gary and Mark started Build Me Later, which was exactly what Aceva in purchase was just three years later. And then the thing sold that company to PayPal for a billion dollars a few years later. But the concept was the same. And we, we talked about it. And, you know, it was it's how small the circle is. Right. And, and the same idea executed two, three years later. Right time, right place. Um, so it's, it's just a, it's, it's a good less. It's just a good way to see how the world evolves and, and timing and luck and hard work and good ideas. And that the success is a combination of all of those, but you can't just say it's one of those things. Yes. I mean, you've walked away from a couple of, you know, billion dollar exits now. It's, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't have nights where you lie in bed Farhan and say, you know, what did I, what did I do? I, I left all that, all that money on the table or just pursuing your path of, of what you believe is right. That's, that's been able to allow you to, to sleep soundly. Yeah, I think the, I think the money would have been very meaningfully uh, life changing for me. I don't think it's a, you know for me it wasn't a billion dollars, but I think this was li- it was a, would have been life changing. But honestly, I, you know, like joy, happiness, um, health, success is not just money. I think there's the ability to sleep well at night, and because I did those things and I want to do things right, uh, the fire, the passion, the hunger has stayed there. And ultimately, life is about a journey. It's not. There's no end destination. And the journey is, is do I find things exciting and passionate, and, and do I have a fire in my belly? And you know, many many years later now, I still have that fire in my belly, right? Because there's still more to be done, and I still am holding out the view that there is a right way to do things, where we've created amazing value in this world, and you get amazing reward for that value. Um, but honestly speaking, I'm also not very financially driven or motivated and. You know, if I if I made a massive killing, I probably wouldn't keep that money anyway. So I, I I don't think I don't think money is necessarily success and happiness. I think some money is good, and and the rest of it is is the journey that you're on, and are you enjoying and experiencing that journey? Farhan, that's a uh, like an elevated, very wise way of thinking. It's not the common way. I mean, most people think oh, I just need to get money. I'll be happy when I get money, and I can buy lots of stuff, and everything will be great. But I mean, as you're saying, that's it's actually not the way that it works, but still, that's the way most people think. How did you get to this realization? I mean, was it, did your parents instill it in you? Was there something early on? I mean, how did you get to this place? Uh, you know, I, it's not, I, there's no, I wish there was a more profound story behind it, but there is, and it's just, I think it's just, uh, it's just my nature. Uh, and like, like you said, right, it's probably the unusual side. It's more, it's less common than, than more common. Um, it's just my observation, right? I look at people with who who do make ungodly amounts of money. I don't necessarily see success or happiness. I, I see dysfunction. I see other good elements and bad elements. And so, to me, the, I know for a fact that the defining element and value is not money, um, but it's probably some amount of money plus other things. And I think you know I've, I've built a very comfortable career where I, I do have I, I have enough money to have a very reasonably nice life. Um, but I also have other things. I've taken the path of a journey, right? I've enjoyed the, I've 
I've enjoyed the nice pack of ramen when I could really only afford the cheap ramen. I've had that joy. I've also had the joy of eating at at a Chili's as a birthday meal, and I've had the joy of eating, you know, and moving my way up and and experiencing every single stage of life financially on the way. And that, to me, the way I look at it, right? If I jump from zero to a hundred, I experience maybe the the baseline stuff, and then I experience the best of the best. And then if I go back and I try something mediocre after that, it's not fun anymore because I've seen better. But when you're building up step by step and you're experiencing every single thing in the middle, that's like a a 10x, 20x opportunities to enjoy life. And why would I deprive myself or anybody else from that? That was really fun, right? And it's just a different approach. And I think I've just, it's been, it works for me. I'm not saying it's going to work for other people, but it works for me really well. No, it's. Um, I mean, it's a. It's definitely the, the right approach. Whether everyone has the fortitude to to take it and 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 to pursue it, I mean, that's a, that's another story. But it's really fun to hear, Farhan. I'm I'm really enjoying listening to your journey. Yeah, and you know, and we'll sort of speed through some of it. I, you know, I I, I after Asiva and took a couple of months off to reflect, and you know, got bought in uh, by. Then J.P. Morgan Chase, which had basically acquired Bank One, which had acquired First Year, so kind of back to the the old place in a very nebulous role of you know building sort of growth strategies for a big bank and saying what we can do differently, and you know puddled around there, and then they asked me to build them a healthcare business, and spent um, uh, a few months thinking about what, and then ultimately built a healthcare lending business. Is part of Chase, but kind of as a de novo project or company. We did not use any of Chase's engines or systems or people. It's kind of like a startup within a big company uh, where the executive committee of the big company was the board and um, grew that business really successfully and then uh, ultimately rolled that into the Chase mothership. It became a business called Chase Health Advance and later became Chase Healthcare. And that was kind of a, a fun ride as well along the way you know, learned how things would work in a bigger company and, and, and you know, what I like or don't like about that. Uh, but, you know, once it became like a big, that it, it left becoming a startup and became a big thing, it was less interesting to me as an entrepreneur at heart. I left that um, and, and came to Discover Network. And Discover is the fourth network out of four networks in this country by and large. So it was kind of the underdog in every way. Um, and you know, by and large, the philosophy became that I was taking on uh, parts and business units and, and areas that really either were unsuccessful or that nobody wanted. And uh, to me, it was a great challenge to take something and turn it around, and, and that was really fun. Um, and it kind of let me do my own thing, and I built a bunch of stuff there. But in the course of that that trip, again, met, you know, had some amazing people that I worked with there and the person who hired me was amazing and the person, my bosses there were amazing. Um, but there was again, a great sort of life lesson there. There was, uh, you know, I discovered at one point, uh, they had a prepaid business that was not doing very well at all. It was kind of a failed business. And my then uh, boss, she said, Hey, I want you to run this business. And I said, listen, I, you know, that's kind of a salesy type business. I don't do that. It's not my thing. And she insisted, and I said, "Listen, you know, I'm really not happy about this conversation. If you, if you force me to do this, I will, I will quit the company, and you, and you don't want that." Anyway, so then, you know, within a week, she fired that person and announced publicly that I'm running this group, and I was very upset with her. 
I was very angry that she forced me to do this. And her conviction was, she says, you are undervaluing yourself in this role. I think you're not a, you won't do it the typical way, but you'll do it your way. And I think you'll be very successful. And I thought that was just hooey. Um, but anyway, she forced me into this role where I was now in charge of all these people and, and I couldn't let them down by giving it away or walking away. So I ran this thing and, and honestly, it was a completely life-changing experience because, you know, until that point and after my startup experiences, my thought was I don't ever want to be the CEO of a startup again. I just don't want to do that business. I don't want to be in that position. And, and by switching that role and seeing how sales or business development can be done in a very different way, uh, it really opened my eyes to saying, well, you know what? I could do it. I just have to do it in a different way. I just have to do it in a different style. I don't have to create hype cycles and 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 you know be a be one of those sort of very uh, grandiose CF CEOs, but I can just do it my way. Um, and again, it's one of those things that I did, I fought against a very positive change in my life that somebody thrust and really shoved upon me and, and shoved it down my throat, despite my saying no. And it comes back to that notion that I mentioned earlier about people who have influenced my life and career in a very meaningful way. And this is an example of one of those situations where I actually was opposed to that person helping me, but she did. And, you know, I thank her every day. And I'm like, I still call her and let her know, right? Hey, that was awesome that you did that for me. And I, you know, that was a completely sort of life-changing thing you forced upon me, but thank you for that. So it's one of those examples. Don't always fight uh, what doesn't seem right, uh, because sometimes it could be the exact right answer from somebody who you can trust and rely on. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Um, wow. I mean, yeah, uh, another, another great lesson. This is, this podcast has just been filled with, with, uh, awesome life lesson one after another. Well, hopefully one of these things appeal to somebody and if it helps them, then I'll feel very happy about it. Yeah. So, um, you're running this business and, um, is this is this what the the foreshadows of Bento? Well, you know the good thing about Chase and, and Discover were that they kind of let me do my own thing, even though they're in big companies, and you know I didn't feel like anybody was really managing what I was doing, and and I got to build great value for Chase and great value for Discover. Um, and by the way, at Discover also, you know, I, I did something again that you might say is counterintuitive. I, you know. We talked about sort of a salary raise, and I said I don't necessarily want a a raise because I don't think I've earned it yet. But but I'll come back when I feel like I've earned more, and I'll ask for a much bigger raise. And and part of the story of the career has been when I went to Chase, I I took a pay cut. When I went to Discover, I took a pay cut. Um, and and all those opportunities that I took when I joined them, I took a pay cut, which is against convention. But the pay cut allowed me to do what I what I felt excited about doing. And within two years or less than that, I had more than doubled my compensation in each place. And, and the value of that lesson was simply, you know, we can take incremental changes um, by following jobs, but by following things that are exciting and passionate and for working well, um, you'll take massive leaps and bounds. But to take the leap of bound, to, to make that massive leap and to take that massive scale, sometimes you have to take the risk. And the risk on my part was to take a pay cut because I had firm belief and conviction that I would do well in that role or that in that new environment and that I could create value. And, and that's always been proven out for me. So when people tell me, hey, I have these two jobs, this one is not paying as much and this one pays more, 
I'm like, if you just make a decision on that, you're you're more than often going to make a poor decision, which sets you on a path to mediocrity over, over the course of time. You'll get incremental value and changes. If you want non-incremental changes and increases, then do things that excite you that you could be awesome at. And and trust me, the pay the payoff there is massive, but there's risk, and and that's just a trade-off that everybody will make. Yeah, that that requires long-term thinking. Yeah, it's just you know, and it's fun. It's fun to do that, and that's how we kind of ended up with my next thing is is discover. You know, I I turned these businesses around; they were doing well, and you know, it became more corporatey, and I, I was kind of ready for a change, and I had an opportunity to, to go and do something in Europe, and. I was literally sitting in a cafe, I remember, in Barcelona. Um, and I, was, I had no interest in, I was not going to pursue this opportunity because it wasn't as exciting. It was with Barclays. And, but I was in Europe and I said, you know what? I, I've done things on a whim before. I kind of enjoy this, this, this European thing. Maybe it's time I take an adventure. And literally just made a spur-of-the-moment decision that I'm going to do this in, in the UK and, and just picked up and moved to the UK and took this job with Barclay Card. And how 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 old were you? I'm sorry, Farhan. How old were you when you moved to Europe and took that job with Barclays? Oh, uh, how old was I when I did that? That was um, let's see. So I I was just shy of forty. So I was thirty nine. Yeah, that's a that's a big change. Oh yeah, but literally, I made that decision over a cup of coffee in Barcelona, and that was the time it took me to make that call. Because I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready to do something out of my comfort zone and do just go and live somewhere else and, and do something fun. <laughs> uh, I love it. I mean, I, that's, that spontaneity is, I mean, that's, a, that's incredible. Really, really fun to hear. Yeah, you know, and, and Barclays was, you know, I love, we love living in London. It was a phenomenal experience. And honestly, you know, the role wasn't great for me. Uh, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't the right person for the role and the role wasn't right for me. And I didn't see eye to eye with our other CEO at that time. And, you know, it, 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 was, a, it was not a very good uh, sort of pleasant work experience. And I, it just did not suit me at all. And I was, as soon as I got there, I was kind of you know, not happy about that change. Um, but on the flip side, um, we, we stayed in London for two years that we thoroughly enjoyed, you know, um, made some amazing friends and connections, enjoyed this a lot, uh, you know, uh, built up some savings as well. Um, and again, I, I think of that, that Barclays was really the, the motivation for this new startup because I realized, you know, I'm at a point in my career where if I take another job, it's, it's going to be more political in nature and because the level that I was at was very senior uh, and, you know, to, there was no other, I would be the CEO of something uh, in a bigger company. And that prospect was not exciting to me because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And it was very obvious to me that the only way, the only next thing for me to do is start my own company again, because that's what I, that's what I live to do. Um, and, you know, we had to take a, a, a big decision, um, and I talked to my wife and I said, hey, I want to start a company and give up this amazing life that we have and, and make making great money here. Um, and we, we, let's go and, and be poor again and, you know, and, and do something fun. And, uh, you know, kind of, you know, gave my notice very early in the Barclays days and, and set up a long sort of uh, disconnection uh, time frame. 
But the cool thing was, right, everybody's, you know, there's one way I can look at that Barclays thing and say that was a really bad experience from a job perspective. On the flip side, the way I choose to look at it is that is the the, the straw that broke the camel's back and got me to, to completely do another de novo full-fledged startup again after many, many years because that the experience was kind of bad enough that it, that it was that it got me the the, um, the courage uh, to give up everything and start again at you know and now I was 41 right so even later stage and say hey you know what it's time to take that massive risk again and start something from scratch again and that was how Bento was born well it also sounds like you married the right person someone that would support you in making such a big time decision Absolutely. Everybody you surround yourself with in your life uh, has, an, uh, has a say in how your life turns out. Yeah. Um, and she could have said no, um, but she chose to say yes because she could, as much as she was very happy in London, but she also recognized that, um, that I was not fulfilled by the work and I was not feeling, I was just not um, doing well from a work perspective and my sort of mental health and energy was very different. Yeah. yeah. Were you working at uh, their office in Canary Wharf? Yes. Yeah, I I worked there in I mean I had an internship there in 2008. Right in the middle of right right in the middle of the crisis I was I was working there. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a fun time. <laughs> uh yeah, it was an unpaid fun internship. I liked the cafeteria there. I think that was my highlight of the <laughs> of the time. Um <laughs> Okay. So so yeah, let's uh let's let's get to the final the or the the most recent chapter of the story here with your startup yeah so you know i i um i i don't have a creatively invented origin story yet um like most people do i you know i just set out to say i know i need to do a startup and i need to do some do something uh that i think i have an unfair or unique advantage in given my experience of doing startups and working in large banks um, it's something that is very large in scale and meaningful and something global in nature. Certainly, I'd run very large businesses before, and I wasn't interested in just doing a small feature or widget or build something tiny. It had to be massive. And really um, looked at business banking and, and the platforms in the back end of that, the backbone of business banking, which is a very profitable segment of banking and, and largely underserved, undertouched by Startups, because, you know, unless you've run a business, you really don't know the friction points there. So no, most startups don't, don't do business banking. And really started off with that thesis to say, let's build a modern business banking um, operating platform, which consists of a large thing. And we won't go into details because this is not about Bento, it's about the journey. And, um, you know, basically structured out a thing of saying, what could be massive in nature? Uh, and, and took an approach to, to build something for the long run. Right? We're not building Bento for a quick exit or, or a small outcome. Um, we, uh, you know, myself and my co-founder Sean, you know, we we set on this path to say we're going to build something that has long-term massive value that creates new value in the ecosystem. It can't just be another cool, funny widget or something that's more techy-looking or something, uh, you know, that's just for fun. It has to create real value. Over the long run, so we built this very deep platform that, again, is very everything that we do at Bento is very much different than what's how Silicon Valley operates. Uh, we invested much more in infrastructure and and operations and product versus growth. Um, 
we've grown really well, but we don't really have a marketing or sales team. It's all organic. Um, you know, but we built an amazing product and an amazing platform. And we we've, we sacrificed the short run to build a, a product that is now extremely fast to change and move and, and adapt. And that was the goal. And we're paying, you know, we're seeing the dividends paid off from that. So it's been a phenomenal ride. Um, we've hired some incredible people that I learn from every day. Um, we're a very diverse team. Um, if you walk into our offices, almost everybody is not just diverse in sort of color, gender, or some other standard variable, but where they came from, where they grew up, and their mindset is completely different. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's an, it's an amazing buzz just to be around that. Um, so we built this amazing company, and you know everything that I have learned thus far is feeding itself into this, right? We, the investors that we have now are people that I like on a personal level. The team that we have has high level of empathy and, and a very diverse set of people. We control our own destiny at every point. Every single thing that we do, there's a plan A, plan B, plan C. Uh, and then there is a there is always multiple paths forward for how do we control our destiny uh, while still accelerating growth. And it's a very deliberate way because I don't know when the next correction is going to happen. It could happen next year. It could happen three years from now or not happen for a long time. I just don't know. But I'm not going to get caught flat-footed again um, by not adapting and anticipating other changes. And so a lot of what we do is, is anticipate and adapt. I mean, it's an awesome story. It's an awesome position to be in, Farhan. I mean, you said this in the very beginning of our conversation, that kind of everything that you did along your journey um, led to this, to this point. And so it's allowed you to capitalize on all your knowledge, experience, connections, and, and build something that you can really be passionate about. Yeah. And, you know, if there's one sort of lasting thing I, will, I, I can leave you with, right, is that in the end, I realized, for me at least, it's all always come down to people, right? I have no fanatic affiliation for financial services. It's not that I wake up and, and read the Wall Street Journal and, and check the markets. I never do that. I have little interest in that. Um, the, the challenge and fun of Bento or any other thing that I've done is around the people and the, both the people who work with me and the people that we create value for. And that's really exciting. Uh, like I said, it's the people that have been privileged enough to be associated with in my career and my life and, and their influence to it. And honestly, it's, it's um, yeah, that's kind of, those are the people who've made meaningful differences. It's, it's never a, a, a company or a product or some event that's made a meaningful difference to my life or career. It's always been people. So I would say keep focus on people, being around the right kind of people, your kind of people. And a lot of other things will sort themselves out over time. Yeah, Farhan, that's such awesome advice. This podcast ran a little long, but it was just so interesting. And I loved your journey and all of your tidbits of advice and information along the way. This was so much fun doing this, Farhan. Thank you. Thank you again. Well, thank you for having the conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk soon. Talk about business. All right. And then we'll get back to you, Alex, and other stuff later. All right. Talk soon. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. Thanks.